Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. About is church attendance necessary? It's not like a catchy title. It's just what they thought up. And I thought it would be important really quickly at the very beginning to let you guys know kind of what this is and how this functions, okay? The whole idea of this is a few of us noticed an opportunity for our young people to create and to own the process of being church. Now, we know we want to get our young people involved in church, right? We want to see them on the front lines of ministry, right? Jesus didn't go to the 50-plus. He went to John, who was was a teenager at 17 and 16, and he got some other young adults, Peter, James, and John, am I right? And turn the world upside down. We saw the same thing in this particular church movement. So I believe that this is kind of the thing that the Spirit of God generally wants to do, is get our young people at the top, hand the baton, and say, you guys take it to the next level. So what I'm seeing here is an opportunity for our young people to lead. Now, everybody is welcome to come, right, and cheer and support and enjoy. But we really want to say, hey, young people, not just here, by the way, this is kind of a great practice, but church in general. Right. There's several opportunities to serve and take up leadership here. And this is a great practice. Am I right? And so what we want to do is give them the opportunity. Now, there's another component to this with Ignite. That is, we want to celebrate the ministries that are serving our youth and our young adults, particularly our teenagers and our 20 somethings up to our, 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 our up to 35. OK. OK. So our young adult ministry, our youth ministry, our high school and our pathfinders. We want to eventually maybe have some slides up here that celebrates what they maybe did this last month. These are just ideas. I'm simply facilitating what you guys want to do. And so uh, in our meetings when we, when we meet together to plan and so forth, because we've pretty much planned out the rest of the year all the way until it follows the school year. So we're going to take off July and August. Okay. Um, Cynthia Bonilla is our assistant leader, and Dominique, who's not here right now, is, our, is the leader for the Ignite team. Okay. And the idea here is we want to we want to celebrate our young people. We want to we want them to be able to bring their friends to come to know the Jesus that they know, right, and get involved. But tonight we want to talk about is church attendance necessary? Now you're going to see right now there's a number on the screen. You can text in any question, any thought. There's no judgment. We really want to create a safe space. It'll be anonymous, so so we can answer your questions because we also want to create a format for questions and conversation. After I'm done talking and yapping for a few minutes, Kevin and I are going to sit here and take your questions, your thoughts, and we're going to have a conversation. Is that okay? Another thing is, for each of these, and there's 10 of these planned, I'm only speaking for about half of them. The rest of them are going to be some guest speakers or the youth pastors in the area. Everything that we're going to talk about has come from our young people. I did not pick any of these subjects. Our young people, that's our teenagers and our young adults, have chosen every theme that we're going to be talking about from here on out, okay? So really affirm our young people and thank them for owning this process 
and for their honesty in the things that they want to discuss, right? Because we really wanted to scratch where it itches and be relevant to what's on their mind. Next month, December 1st, we're going to be talking about how do we relate to the current events that are happening in the world right now? How do we relate with that as young people, as Christians? Okay? So anyway, bow your heads with me, and we're going to dive right in to our subject tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for being with us this entire weekend, this entire Sabbath experience. We've talked about entering into your rest. And now, Lord, at the cusp of a brand new week, we know what's ahead. Work, school, homework, bills, the rat race, traffic. And so before all that gets started, we want to linger in your presence just a little bit more. Just to thank you, just to bask in your presence, just to be grateful for your grace. We're going to dive into a subject, Lord, tonight that I really hope will help bring some clarity for those that have any questions concerning church. What is it? And is it necessary to attend? But Lord, most importantly, beyond uh, anything here that we talk about, we really want Jesus to be seen, clearly heard, felt, and understood, and that I would fade away. We thank you. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, amen. amen, amen. I want you just to imagine for a second, you're at a family reunion. You're with your family. You're eating really, really good food. What are we eating, guys? Tell me, what are we eating at this family reunion? Salmon? Lasagna. Okay, what else are we eating at this family reunion? Greens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Woo. What are we eating on this side? What are we eating at this family reunion? Say that one more time. <laughs> what she said. Yes, we're eating that. <laughs> Rice and peas. Yeah. What else is at this? Mac and cheese chipotle. At the family reunion. Come on, man. Aki and saltfish. Tandoori chicken. All right. All right. Nobody said veggie loaf. Loma Linda. Nobody. Now I want you to imagine you're eating all this good food, including what Keishla said, which I can't repeat. And while you're there taking in this experience, you're having good conversation, right? I want you to imagine you now with your family members, and I want you to imagine yourself asking them this question. Think about it. You know, it's so great to be a part of this family, right? Do I have to attend you? Think about it. This is your family, your blood, right? Do I have to? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Do I have to attend you? No, 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 no. Do I have to attend you? You're, you're a part of the family, and you're telling them, do I have to attend you? This, the, the looks that you guys have on your faces right now should be the same looks that you guys have when I say, is church attendance necessary? Do you know why? Because, and there's a long history with this, and I'll do my best to kind of sum it up just a little bit, but there is a problem even with the question. And, I, and don't get me wrong, I understand, believe me, I'm not, I'm not like removed from the realities of you know, uh, uh, what surrounds this question. But I understand what people mean by the question, is church attendance necessary? Because I understand what they're saying. We're, we're, we're relegating what church is 
to what happens in the building. We're relegating what church is, particularly, to a worship service that happens in a building. And what we're going to look at here in a second is, this is a non-biblical question. This is a foreign concept to the New Testament, to what Jesus intended for what church is. And to, il to illustrate this, I'm going to share something with you that most of us here that are probably under 25 may not be familiar with. If you're 25 and older, I'm, I'm assuming here you might be familiar with this. Now, before you met Christ and came into this beautiful church, there was a show on TV called Cheers. Did I talk about this this morning? Did I mention Cheers? No? Ah, last night, that's what it was. Okay, so most of y'all weren't here last night, so it's all good. All right, Cheers. Now, the song goes like this. Sometimes you want to know... Right? Or no, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. Right? Okay. Now, the whole, the whole uh, thing that made this, this show popular, and I kind of learned this after the fact, because I wasn't really like diehard into the show anyway. I just occasionally maybe saw a few of the, you know, remember Frazier? Right? The astute kind of, yeah, that dude. All right. Anyway. So here's the thing about this show. What made it popular, it appealed to people. You know why? Because there were several different people from different walks of life that were meeting in a bar. They would get their drinks, but it wasn't about the drinks, it wasn't about the bar. They formed a community in a bar. And they wanted to go where everybody knew their name, where they were accepted, where there was, you know, they're glad that you're there, right? Okay, and so what was going on there, it was speaking to a niche. It was speaking to a reality that was developing, and I believe is even faster, uh, is rapidly increasing, is that there is people in this country, in this world, that are not finding what they're finding at the bar in here. What should happen is, we go, hey, when I go to church, that's the place that I go where everybody knows my name. And they're always glad I came, right? But what's happening is you've got people today, unfortunately, because sometimes in society how we paint what church is, sometimes even by our own questions and comments, we confuse people about what church is. For instance, I'm going to church. Can I, tell, can I go to my family? Well, in a sense, yes. If my family's sitting here at the pew and I walk over, yes, I can go to my family. But do I attend my family? You see, I'm a part of the family. I am family, right? So what's going on today in society is people are rejecting church. You understand that? In order to find church, even if it's in the bar. Are you hearing this? They're rejecting sometimes what we present as what church is in order to find the very thing that church is supposed to be about. Some people go, hey, I want to go somewhere where I'm not judged, where people love me, they'll walk with me through life, they support me, they encourage me, right? They got my back. If I have a need, they're there for me, kind of like a family. I'm not going to church for that, though, because people are going to judge me and they're going to look down at me and I don't have the churchy clothes or the churchy words to say. And so they stop. They don't go to church, but they may go to the bar. They may go to Starbucks. They may go, I don't know, the game shop. I don't know, where are people hanging out today, right? 
Yeah. Happy hour, although they say that's the least happy hour of the day. We need to take another look at what Jesus taught church to be and what the New Testament actually describes church as. Number one, what we need to debunk, and I'm going to do really quickly here uh, my best to clarify this. Secular historians look at church history, right, which we're still living out, okay? But they look at church history after the ascension and resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ from Pentecost on. They look at church, and what they do is they say, really, you can split church history into two phases. There's before Constantine, Emperor Constantine of the Roman Empire, one of the last ones, and then after Constantine. Before Constantine, after Constantine. What was the game changer there? Well, Constantine was a Roman emperor, and Constantine, now for many of us in this community of faith, are familiar with him because we know that he is the Roman emperor that made Christianity a legal religion and also to unite a country, a, a, a empire. I see the historian, right? The history teacher that's nodding his head. If I'm not getting it right, let me know or put a text in, okay? <laughs> All right. Correct me, you know, fact check me here. But basically what they do is they go, okay, now after, now Constantine, by the way, Constantine is a Roman emperor. He was trying to unite his empire. There was a fast-growing movement of Christianity, though it was illegal up until he does what I'm about to share with you. Um, and, and, and he goes, okay, we got this growing movement in our, in our empire of these Christians now, just sweeping over our empire. And then you've got our, the pagans, okay? And what many of us are familiar with is that he united them because they said, oh, you worship the sun on the first day of the week, on Sunday, because you worship the sun god. And then you guys seem to be celebrating more and more lately the son of God, on the first day of the week, uh, his resurrection. And so therefore, I'm going to unite this, and I'm going to actually make Sunday the Sabbath. Okay? Are you hearing this? And, and, and then, of course, you know, there's a whole lot of other stuff that comes after that. But once he made, watch this, once Constantine made Christianity legal here behind the scenes, spiritually, here's what the Bible is actually describing happens. The devil changed his tactic. The devil said, I can't stop this Christian movement that's taking the gospel to the world. I can't stop it from the outside through persecution and sacrifice and all this kind of stuff that they did to the Christians, right? He said, I'm actually going to join the church and mess it up from the inside out. I'm going to confuse people about the character of God. I'm going to cause people not to actually depend on their Bible, but depend on the guy standing up here doing whatever. I'm going to confuse people about what church actually is. Church began to become a place for the elite, the the, the leaders in government, the the, the elite in society eventually just joined the church. Hey, if Constantine said join the church, well, okay, it must be advantageous in some way. Not necessarily because of true conversion to Jesus Christ, okay? And so with that came a lot of things, dressing up, Right? Did you know, if you, and read, by the way, the, the book of James, did you know that in the early church, they actually, historically, tried to discourage people from dressing up? In terms, of, in terms of, like today, in our culture today, we wear suits and dresses and so forth, and I'm not knocking that. Understand, I, I wear them myself sometimes. You hear me? But because most people that were joining the church in the first three centuries were poor, They felt that if you came and dressed up, you were actually shaming everybody else that did not afford the same clothes that you had. 
The idea of dressing up came after Constantine because church began to be a gathering place of the elite. So you came in the same thing you went to at a banquet, right? It became a place for those that, ha those that have the money to have these nice clothes. This is the history, okay? I'm not knocking anyone that decides to wear your, your Sabbath vest, but we need to understand the history of what took place and why we do what we do. Pews, the idea that we all face forward, right? And watch the specialists up here. Church, in terms of the, in terms of the people, everybody say the people. Because church is people. It, it means the called out ones, right? They're called out to go back in with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church was never until Constantine referring to a place, a building, or a worship service. Go with me really quickly if you have your Bibles. I want to, I want to, show you here right after Pentecost Jesus Christ has now ascended and biblically here he is now sending the Holy Spirit his representative on earth to empower the mission of the first century church Peter gets up he preaches the gospel Acts chapter 2 and then people respond get baptized over 3,000 people now actually more many historians will, will tell you because that's counting the men so it was more like 15 because if you add women and children more like 15,000 people now join the church. In our society today, if 15,000 people, Berlin, say that we want now to establish a church, well, what are we going to do? We're going to get, what, the Sears Center or whatever kind of like mega church facility, right? And we're going to pack as many of those people into a building and say we're having church. By the way, I'm just going to throw this in. Do you know that the, the, the methodology and the, and the mindset of the gospel when it comes to Jesus is not to pack the synagogue? Do you see that in the Bible? As the goal for Jesus, mission, in terms of mission, was to pack a synagogue or to pack the temple. That should let us know that church is more than a place. There's something more the Bible's getting at when it comes to church. Don't get me wrong. Jesus went to synagogue. They went to temple. But understand, that's, a, that's an accent of what church is, not the thing itself. Today, when people want to plant a church, they want to find a facility are you hearing me? Jesus wouldn't have done that. Follow, what I'm, follow, follow with me here, Acts chapter 2. And I want you to look at the picture of this 3,000-member church, over 3,000. We'll start in verse 40. Peter has just preached. People now, over 3,000, have gotten baptized. Verse 40. And with many other words, he, that's Peter, testified and, ex and exhorted them, saying, Be saved, from this perverse generation, he's concluding his sermon here, then those who gladly received his word, that's the word of the gospel, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came to die for your sins and to, and to uh, uh, enter into a relationship with you, correct? So he's preaching the gospel to them, verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls, that's people, were added to them. That's the 120 that were in the upper room on Pentecost. Are you hearing me? All right, now watch this. Verse 42, and they continue. Now here's where you need to pay attention. They continued steadfastly, this is after their baptism, in the apostles' doctrine. Pause there. What was the apostle? Was the apostle? Doctrine just means teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? Well, basically the entire scripture in the light of the crucified, risen Savior. 
the apostles' doctrine is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which permeates all of Scripture. It's the story of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means for us now, after the cross. And so, in other words, they were continuing to grow in the word focused on Jesus. Amen? Now, that, that characterized part of this church experience. Watch this now. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. Somebody throw out uh, what fellowship means. Give me a synonym for fellowship. They were in fellowship. So they were growing in the word and they were in fellowship. What does that mean? Because I know we use very churchy words, but what does that really mean? Does it mean they had a potluck in, the, in, in Stutler? What did it mean? Hanging out together. Fellowship means fellowship? What does fellowship mean? Relationship. Yes. Okay, they were, they were in community. And by the way, this wasn't just on Sabbath, which we're about to discover in a second. Look, let's continue. So they had the word of God. They had fellowship, okay? And then, oh, I love this part. They broke bread together. By the way, breaking of bread didn't just mean that every time they got together, they only had bread. All right? That was just kind of code for they ate food all the time. Right? They ate together. Okay? And by the way, that also is an allusion to communion, but it means kind of both, actually, in the New Testament. And then prayer. Of course, they prayed together. We see that all over the New Testament as well. By the way, um, well... I'm getting ahead of myself. Now let's continue. Fear, uh, then 43, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were united. They had similar goals now because of the cross and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. What did that basically say? They were so in love with Jesus that his love caused them to love everybody else. And tangibly to the point where they said, Oscar, what do you need? No, seriously, don't play with me. What do you need, Oscar? You need a new car? Baby, do we got some money in that? Yeah. All right. Boom. New car. Not because somebody planned it in a kind of, you know, commune type of a, you know. No, this was spontaneous. This was need-based. This was spirit-led. Mike, what do you need? Shout it out. Good. We got it. What do you need? Boom, 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 boom. They were doing it out of the love and kindness of their heart. And that was contagious. What if you just lived in a community where everybody just lived to give, not to take, right? That's contagious. That's attractive. And people saw that. And it's because of this guy, Jesus? Wow. All right. Now, this is the part I wanted to get to, verse 46. So now, here's the part we like. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. See that, CJ? They met in the building. By the way, this is in Jerusalem, so of course they were there by the temple. But as you follow after Acts chapter 8, less and less were they in the temple. Right? They were out in other Gentile regions. Okay? But they were in the temple. They were in the building. But watch this. And breaking bread from... Oh, man, you guys are not talking to me today. And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I love that it said simplicity of heart. Because sometimes when we approach church, we think that we have to have this amazing performance. And we have to really kind of put on a show. This, this just seemed to be, they just, they just wanted to be with other people that love Jesus and were growing in Jesus. And they just... In the simplicity of being together, enjoying each other's company. Man, you're a funny dude. Really? 
what? Before Christ, you used to do what? Man, you're totally different now. You're just laughing and being together, eating food all around Jesus, okay? From house to house, food. I know they mentioned food again. They ate food, right? With gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And I love how it ends. It's almost like the ending of a, of a novel, like a happy ending. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Notice that in all of that fellowship, in all of that that we just witnessed, the Bible is letting you know that it wasn't them through their kind of strategizing, you know, mission uh, uh, initiatives. It was Jesus that was adding to the church as they were in that type of loving community. See, loving community is contagious. When people are like cheers in a safe space where if they honestly share what's on their mind, what they're struggling, what their needs are, and people just generally out of the kindness of their heart are meeting their needs, are encouraging them, are loving them, and are cooking up some really good food like the food you guys mentioned, ackee and saltfish and mac and cheese, Good food is being cooked. People are laughing and loving and maybe crying and people are supporting and pouring into that person. Who doesn't want to be in that space? No, people are not sitting in pews here of facing someone. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm saying that what the Bible is after is something deeper than what we have here. There's something we're missing. Okay? We're missing something. Okay? So there's one other text I want to go to, but I want to remind you before I go there that you guys can share any thoughts that you have on what I'm saying right now, even if you want to push back. You can send it to that number right there on the screen. We're only going to go to one other text, one other text, and then we're going to kind of get to the end here. Go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10. It's going to sound like a really corny joke, but someone said, Somebody once said, and by the way, I'm just doing this so you can find Hebrews chapter 10. <laughs> someone, but someone once said, you know that there's coffee in the Bible because Hebrews. It's corny, but, you know, it's kind of funny. <laughs> All right, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews, there's no coffee in the Bible. All right, Hebrews chapter 10. All right. And I want you to go to verse 24. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. This is the last text we're going to look at. Are you seeing something in what we just read that's different than the typical church experience now? Because there's a mindset that goes with church in our language and in our practice as it being the building or worship service. You know what, you know what that is? I don't become a seven days Adventist Christian. I become a seventh day Adventist Christian. In other words, have you ever heard this? Hey, hey, don't act like that. Don't run. Don't, 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 don't talk like that. You're in the, yeah, or, or you're in the church, right? Jesus would have never used that language because guess what? If you are church, <laughs> wherever you are at any moment, Jesus' presence is there. You just wouldn't do that, period. Because it's not just when you come in here that the presence of God is here. Now, he is here. But where is the temple now? Because 70 AD, that temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed. Where does Jesus say through the, through the Apostle Paul? What is it, where is the temple now on earth? 
Who's the, who's the temple of the Lord? We are the temple of the Lord, individually and collectively. You know why the Holy Spirit is here? Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered, I am there, through the Spirit, in their midst. This place, in and of itself, is not holy. When we come here, filled with the Spirit of God, welcoming his presence, acknowledging him, then this place becomes holy. That means, and by the way, if you, just, if you just read the conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well, you'll understand. He said, there's, there's a day coming, not when you guys, the Samaritans, meet on Mount Gerizim or down in Jerusalem, but the true worshipers of God will worship him in spirit and in truth. He's talking about thinking of religion and your Christian life, basically, as dependent on a place. He's saying there's coming a day where no matter where you are, if you're, in, if you're in spirit and in truth, you are a worshiper of God and the presence of God is there. That means that when we leave this place and you go to the workplace, what you do and your atmosphere should change because you've brought the Holy Spirit with you. Are you hearing what I'm saying, guys? Church is not just here. You know, um, we, and I think we kind of know that. But in our language and in our practice, you'll find, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm in church. Where are you going? I'm going to church. See, I'm, 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 I'm CJ Cousins. That's my last name, right? That speaks to my family name. So um, wouldn't it sound really weird if I said, I'm going to go to Cousins today? Does this just sound like I need to be like admitted somewhere? See, I'm a part of that family. So wherever I go, I'm cousins. You get it? You're a Christian. You bear the name of Jesus. So when we gather together, that's a powerful thing. But when you're out there at work, you're a church. Church is not just what people see on TV when a televangelist is on. Church, literally in many people's mind that are not Christians, is what they see in you in school, on the job, at home, in your neighborhood, in your family. So we've got to expand our understanding of what church is. But this, there's this last text I want you to look at. I hope you definitely should have found the text by now. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. The Bible says this, And let us consider one another in order to stir up. Everybody say stir up. Love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now this should really light the fire of Seventh-day Adventists in here. He says to stir each other up, right? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. By the way, this was happening in the New Testament. Some people didn't want to assemble together, all right? But exhorting one another. Exhorting is Bible language for encouraging, building up, okay? Exhorting one another, and so much the more as you... See the day approaching. As much as I've been saying that church is not the building or a worship service, can you gather not only here, can you gather in a living room? Can you gather at a Starbucks? Can you gather at a park? Can you gather at your office during break time? Anywhere two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, the church, the kingdom of God, 
has just arrived. I'm going to say it again. Wherever two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, the reign of God, the kingdom of God manifested through his church is present. You are church. Wherever you go, wherever we gather. But watch this. As we see the day approaching now, please, I know you guys must not have your heads underneath the sand. Is the day approaching? Can you see it? Can you feel it right now in society, on the news, in social media? Can you see the day as the Bible, the day meaning the second coming of Jesus? Do you sense that something is afoot on this planet? It's true. Okay? This is not a fear thing. This is actually a faith building thing. We're going home. All right? But watch this. The more you see the day approaching, he's saying the more in love and in, in building each other up and encouraging each other to stir each other up to good works, to encourage each other. You're broken? Let's just surround you and pour love all over you. The more you see the world getting crazy and you go, yeah, Jesus is coming, he's saying the more you should be pressing into one another. The more, yes, when we come here, this place should be packed with hurting people. Broken people, not people that look good and have it all together. People that are honestly sick. Hospitals have sick, sick people in them. And we shouldn't be surprised to see that because this is where they should come to be healed. Are you hearing me? But guess what? Please, this should not be the only place they come and gather. As a matter of fact, I feel so strongly about this based on what I see in the scripture that actually church, in terms of the people gathered together in the name of Jesus, really should be more out there than it is here. I should be hanging with Adam. I should be hanging with Gabby. I should be seeing you guys maybe two, three times a week. Now, hear, hear what I'm saying. Now, I understand people got busy lives. I get it. It's stressful. Many of you guys are doing a lot of things outside of here. Praise God. Some of you are actually living out what I'm saying. So please don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. But as it's possible text, however you want to connect, we should be gathering, pressing into one another, however that looks like, more than when we come here. Matter of fact, when I come here, it's like, oh, psh, I was just talking with you on Tuesday, then I bumped into you on Thursday. Oh, yeah, and we're here. All right, let's praise God. All right, good. Are you feeling that? That's what's happening here. Unfortunately, like I said, after Constantine, a lot of things changed. We didn't have church buildings until after Constantine. Because now it was legal to be a Christian and gather together. You didn't have to do it underground. Historically, whenever a church has been under tight persecution, it grew the fastest. It had its strongest fervor because it meant something to name the name of Jesus. Do you know how dangerous that was back in the first century to say that Jesus Christ is Lord? Do you know in that context, the only person you called Lord or Son of God or Savior was Caesar. So by saying Jesus Christ is Lord, you're in essence saying indirectly, Caesar is not Lord. Caesar called himself Son of God, which was probably Zeus. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly who it was, Michael. Okay. It meant something to name the name of Jesus. You could be killed, literally. And you got baptized publicly. So now that it became legal, all kind of stuff changed. We built these huge edifices. Many, you can go to different places around the world and you see these huge cathedrals and so forth. 
And unfortunately, it became a place of the elite. And it also became a place where you more and more didn't interact with one another. It began to become more focused on the ceremony that was taking place, the mass, the priest, the specialist, the speaker. Let's all focus on them. By the way, it was understood back then that everybody was called to make disciples, not just the pastor. I, I tell everybody, whenever we're going to baptize somebody, hey, if somebody else brought you here, they should baptize this person. I'm just going to be there just to kind of bless it, right? Because that's what Jesus said. Disciples, go make other disciples and baptize. You see, the church is a movement of disciples that are making other disciples through love. Okay? I see, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing some of your faces. I don't even know if you texted anything in yet. But what I want you to know is, is that there's more to this thing called church than what we sometimes think. And believe it or not, especially with our social media generation, people are hungry today for community. I mean, like, seriously hungry for authentic, trusted, accepting, non-judgmental relationships. Like, honestly, if you just offered that to people, I couldn't stop you from baptizing the people that would want to come and know Jesus. Okay? Uh, we're finding electronic ways to do things that we really want to do in person. You ever see people at the, at the, the restaurants, right? And they're not even paying attention to each other. They just got their head down texting. Sometimes with each other. People don't even know how to be in community anymore. This is what Jesus is calling us to be. Kevin, I think we're going to get ready to have a conversation. But I want you to know, man, like rethink church, seriously. That doesn't, that doesn't negate or stop anything that we currently do. But church is not something you attend. Church is just who you are, Brenda. It's who you are. It's when we gather together in community, in love, on mission. And when you really understand what church is according to Jesus, you won't want to not be together. No one will ever have to force you to attend anything. You're going to be like, Belinda, when do we get to get together again? Are we going to eat tonight? Is that tonight? I'll count me in. I got about five other folk. They're not churchy people, but like I told them how cool things are here, and they love, and, we, and, I, and they accept, and I'm growing. And, and they're like, oh, please, count me in. Like People really want that, like seriously. So... Last thing I'll say, take people from the conference room to the living room, then to the big room. I'm going to say it again. Take people from the conference room, your workplace, the other spaces where you do life that don't know Jesus, like build relationships with them, be church to them, and then bring them to the living room. We often think we've got to get them here. Are you hearing me? Have you been there? I've been there. I need to, if I'm going to evangelize somebody... I bring them to the worship service. Pastor CJ preaches or Pastor Gary. They hear the gospel, respond. All right, that's Pastor CJ's problem now. That's so unbiblical. No. You build a relationship with them. You love them. Share whatever you know, even if it's just two verses. But those verses mean something to you, don't they? And if they want, because they like you, those verses, then you just share those. Whatever you know, you share it. Christianity is whatever you're, you're painting to them, right? And then get together in your living room maybe once a week, eat some food, like have a good time, talk about life and spirituality, 
And I don't care if it takes them even a year to get here. By the time they've been hanging with you and building a relationship and understanding Christ a little bit more through the scripture, coming here ain't going to be no big deal. It's going to be like, ain't nothing but a thing. Absolutely. I've been with you. And if anybody else that you go to is like you, yeah, I want that. How many of you guys want that kind of community? I do. I do. I want to be that. I want to be that. And so, all right, I think there may be some questions. Um, I don't know if I stepped on any toes tonight. I don't know if I challenged anybody. We were going to text in. Well, what's going to be texting? You wanted you to share it? That's cool. All good. If anybody else wants to do that, that's fine. But you can text it in if you want to. Yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think I'm familiar with that. I think I'm familiar with that church. Yes, sir. A to the man. A, amen, amen. I, I, I can't, I can't, I almost want to air high five because I can't reach you from where I'm at right now. Yes. Okay, I, I personally experienced what he is. Where was Nicole? Nicole, Thursday night at Panera Bread, right? Yeah. Okay. So, Yeah. Uh-huh. So I don't know I don't know if we have any that came in sometimes. Oh we got All right, all right, cool. Alright. First one, are you ready? I'm ready, man. Ready? I'm as ready as I'm gonna be. Thank you, promise. <laughs> Thank you, promise. I'm as ready as I'm gonna be. Go ahead. Um how do I invite non adventist friends to church on Sabbath? Okay. I would change the language. You're not inviting them to church. I, 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 I challenge myself not to use that language anymore. I do not refer to this as church. I refer to this as a worship service where the church gathers. That's, that's, that's biblical. That, that's, more, that's closer to what Jesus established. The church is not a worship service or a building. The church is you. And wherever you are, loving people in the name of Jesus. And so as you build a relationship with them, by the way, Lord have mercy. Again, we've, um, I don't have time even to get into all of it. We are very building and worship service centric in the West. 
By the way, if you go to some places where they, they can't even afford other countries, they can't afford any facility or, or anything like that, they're growing rapidly. You know why? They're doing what, what was done in the book of Acts. They're being church in their homes, on the job. If they want to gather together in a, a larger corporate gathering, they get by a tree, maybe by a river, and they are hungry for Jesus. You can't contain the worship that comes out of some of them gatherings, put many of us to shame, including myself. So I would say, um, and I think the question was, how do I invite someone to a worship service, right? Yeah. So what I would say is first, be church. And don't make bringing them to the synagogue, you know what I'm saying? Don't make bringing them to the temple the goal. Jesus didn't say go into all the world and pack as many worship services as possible. Jesus says go make disciples. You know how you make disciples? Love people. Be friendly to them. Develop a relationship with them. Another word or, or a synonym for the word disciple is mentor. Mentor them into what it looks like by both what you teach, but also by mainly how you live and reveal what it looks like to follow Jesus, what Jesus is like. They should look at you and see what Jesus is like. And you show them that and by doing that, they want to know more about him, and you teach him and model it. And then next thing you know, it becomes contagious. You may have two, three people that you're now in a relationship with, and you're gathering at a Panera Bread. That's discipling somebody into what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And as you disciple now, the disciples that are multiplying may want to get together and have a worship service. But we're, we, we tend to put the cart before the horse. We want to get them to the worship service before we disciple anybody, when really we should be discipling people and then bringing them to a worship service to celebrate all that God's doing. Do you get it? I think I'm going to be quiet now. All right, go ahead. All right, this is my question. All right. Why is there so much hate in the world? Oh, that's not, that, that's not hard at all. You know why there's so much hate in the world? Well, because we're not good. Humanity is not inherently good after sin entered the world. My natural disposition, see me when I'm really hungry and sleepy, right? I'm not a nice person. My wife is very patient, right? She's probably watching right now, right, sweetie? You know, um, the only good thing in me is that Jesus Christ has, has done something in my life. He's first of all forgiven me and been very gracious to me. And through a relationship with him, any good thing you see or hear from me is because this guy obviously has Jesus in his life. Okay? Now that doesn't mean that there are people out there like atheists or people that are non-Christians that can't do good things. Of course they do. Many of them care more about the community than some of us. Right? But that is evidence that God still moves on people's hearts even if they're not in here. See, God is working, man, in the world to try and draw all people to himself. So why are people so hateful? Well, because of sin. That's why. Sin, ultimately, at the end of the day, is selfishness. So what happens with hate? Hate is, I think I'm better than you for some reason because I'm being selfish. So I want to elevate myself and put you down. And by the way, I feel better about myself the more I put you down. That's a problem with the heart. And all of us in here uh, have that condition. And Jesus is the only physician that heals that problem inside of our hearts. That's why. That's what I, mean, I think. For sure, I definitely think there's a little bit too much focus on a sense of self nowadays. Mm -hmm. We lack community. We do. I really hate comes from a place of misunderstanding. 
I like that too, yeah, because um, I heard someone say, I'm probably paraphrasing here, but they said, um, I've never, what was it? I have never met an enemy. Uh, what was it? I've never met an enemy that I didn't know. The point of the, I'm, I'm totally mess, messing it up here. Please forgive me. The point was, is that the more you sit down with somebody and listen to them, not talk, listen to them, the more it's harder to be an enemy. Does that make sense? Like, w when you really hear people's pain, people are broken, man. People that are hurt, hurtful, are hurting. You know, hurt people hurt people. People that are miserable are in misery. So if you really listen to people's pain, man, it's, it's harder to really hate them. It's harder to, you start to empathize. You may not agree, but you may go, wow, you went through all that abuse and you went through all that hurt. I mean, I can understand why you're the way you are. So we don't listen to each other, absolutely. All right. So how can you talk about God when your friends get uncomfortable when you say the word Jesus? Okay. Very good question. And I'm going to answer this as simply and as quickly as I can. Let's see. We're going bowling. I think we're doing good with time. All right. The, uh, I think it's very instructive to look at the uh, life of Jesus, first of all. Notice that Jesus, apart from the little conversation he has with his mom and his dad when he's at 12 and they find him in the temple, and he says, hey, don't you know I'm supposed to be about my father's business? That's the only thing you really hear about Jesus in those 30 years before he officially starts his ministry as Messiah, right? After the... The, the, the Jordan River, eighty twenty seven. okay? Notice Jesus spends 30 years in what would seem like silence, living among people, carpenter shops, and he probably made your chair or your furniture. Like he lived among us. He saw the pain we experienced. He saw people being hurt. He had compassion. He, was a, he, he lived among us as, every, as a human being. And he spent three and a half years preaching. And notice what came first, living among us. And then he preached way later when he was 30, three and a half years. And by the way, even in that three and a half years, he did more healing than he did preaching and teaching. I think the greatest sermon is how you love people, man, how you treat people. Um, someone said that you should live the kind of life that begs the question, who is the God that you serve? You should live the kind of life that preaches so much that people go, there's just something different about you, Keshla. Alex, I don't know what it is about you, man. You, you got something. Man, if, and even when you're going through rough times, the way you respond to rough times reveals your faith, right? And you make other people in that type of situation may go to addiction and other levels of brokenness, um, but you hold on with such faith and peace and joy, like... I know you cried the other day, but still you kind of bounce back. It's because of Jesus. And so I, I, I would say you need to live it in such a compelling way. Love people, really, in such a compelling way that it begs the question, man, what is it about you? Like, Cynthia Bonilla is always smiling. I rarely ever see her not smile. And I know it's because she's got Jesus in her life, okay? That's the kind of life we need to live. In a literal sense, is church attendance or coming together as solo Christians necessary and why? Jesus said, now, whoa, 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 now, when, again, we're saying is church attendance necessary, so uh, I think what they're saying is the worship service, okay? And I think people are still struggling with this idea 
that church is not this worship service. The church comes to worship in the worship service. And I know that that takes a while to unravel. It takes a while to understand that we are family. My brother lives in Michigan. We're still family. We're not together in a building, but we're still family. Okay? The idea here is that we are church. But when it comes to the worship service, you know, guys, if we really understood what church really was, the kind of community and family we're supposed to be, we wouldn't be asking the question whether or not we should come to worship together. We'd be going, man, when do we get to do this again? If we really understood what, what, what this is supposed to be, um, but, but, but is it necessary like for salvation, in essence, to attend a worship service? Well, we're saved by grace through faith in what Jesus did. So you're not going to be saved by a worship service. However, saved people that are in love with Jesus find it that they just love being together. They love being in a community full of support. Jesus would say it this way, and I was, I was going to read the text, but now I might start preaching. So, uh, John chapter um, 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he goes on and he talks about abiding in me. If you abide in me, um, in essence, you know, you'll be trimmed and pruned, but, but you will, you'll produce fruit, right? He starts using agricultural language. And so the idea here is if you cut yourself off from the life-giving sap that flows through the vine, you will do what? You die. If you're a branch that's cut off, right? Can you thrive if you're cut off from that life support? No, no. So, so that's why you know, what we read in, in Hebrews 10, stir each other up to love in good works. In other words, you being in community together, you filled with the Holy Spirit, you knowing Jesus, not you're perfect, you're growing in Christ, right? You're maturing. Me coming here and hanging out with you, Kevin, and hearing your story, Benilda, and Oscar hearing your story and singing about the goodness of God is stirring me up. It's growing me up. It's maturing me. Even when we disagree on little things, how we disagree as Christians actually builds character. It strengthens my faith in Jesus. I'm not saved by what I do, but by my faith, I'm, I'm holding on to Jesus more because of our interaction. Does that make sense? So the greater we come together, the stronger my faith is built, the more I learn how to love. Love is a community thing. We tend to shy away in our Western society today from real, authentic relationships. We're scared of people really knowing who we are. I've been there, so I'm, I'm not judging. We really are scared. Um, when, when, when you launch, for instance, grow groups or small groups, many small groups suffer in a lot of churches because of what I'm just talking about right now. Man, I know when I come to the worship service, this is a Constantine issue, when I come to the worship service, I say, Happy Sabbath. I wear my Sunday or Sabbath vest, some people will say, right? I can put on a really good thing, even me as a pastor. You'll think, oh, Pastor CJ, he's right there with God. And he doesn't have a bad day. He's never a little grumpy. You know what I'm saying? Um, super spiritual, you know, together or whatever. But what if you came and you saw me at 9 p.m. when I'm exhausted and I just put my son together and then he wakes up five minutes later and I haven't eaten any dinner and my wife asks me to get something from the fridge? Huh? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We don't want people to really know what we're like. And, and Jesus was designing what this is supposed to be, to be something bigger. That church attendance in terms of worship service was supposed to just be like maybe like a 5%, 10% thing that's wonderful that you do, and that's a part of what church is. 
the real meat of what the thing is, is is outside of that. Look at the life of Jesus. Look at the New Testament church and you'll see what I'm talking about. All right. Is it wrong to attend church on Sundays? Again, well, again, we're using that language. Is it wrong to attend church, right? Church is family. Now, a worship service on Sunday. Good question. Controversial question, but I'm... I will share what, what I believe my thought was, what my thought is. If you look in the New Testament, there were times that they gathered on just about any day of the week. Okay? The Sabbath, see, we worship every day of the week. You understand that, right? Jesus didn't call us to only worship one day of the week. What's distinct about Sabbath is the Sabbath is holy. It's set apart, unique, special, so it's a separate day. I cannot declare in any way that Sunday is holy because the Bible does not support that. But can I worship Jesus and gather with other believers? I hold seminars sometimes on a Sunday afternoon, right? Sunday morning, you're probably not going to find me because I'm tired after all of this on Saturday, okay? So, so is it wrong, biblically, for us to gather together as believers on a Sunday? I would say no. Now, can it cause some... Um, because of how we have developed in terms of the church, in terms of church buildings and denominations, can it be confusing to some? Why is CJ preaching at, I don't know, First Baptist or Methodist on a Sunday? Well, number one, Jesus went to where the people were. Jesus often would cross the lines, even of religion. He would go to the Samaritans and he would spend even two days with them, staying in their house. So if I got an invitation anywhere here to another church of another denomination, guess where I'm going, right? There's the same Jesus I'm preaching here. I'm not watering anything. I'm going to preach the same Jesus when I go over there. Right? But I'm a part of this family. Um, but, and I'm still going to talk about the day that Jesus gives me every week to, bless, to, to, to rest and to keep holy. But is it inherently wrong to gather? I wouldn't say that. I, I can't say the scripture says it's wrong to gather to worship on another day of the week. Because the believers, it says almost every day, they were so in community. They were gathering every day, including the Sabbath, which was special. How do we break out of the routine of church building and become church body? Just get together. I'm with, I, I, I'm, can, can I, I'm going to get in trouble here for a quick second. Nicole? Nicole, do we have a good time on Thursday night? As a matter of fact, it's just me, you, and maybe one other that are Seventh-day Adventists in that group, am I right? So, so, we're having church, right? See, church, wherever two or three are gathered, that's church, right? We often use the language of church, and it's still coming out in some of the questions. We use the language of church when we refer to here in the worship service. But how about when you went to Panera Bread and you gathered? That was church. Yes. Biblically, that, that was the church gathering together. As you see the day approaching, right? Assembling yourselves together. He didn't just, we, 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 we put that into the text often, gathering yourselves together on a Sabbath, right? And that's a good thing to do. But that didn't limit, that's not limited to just the Seventh-day Sabbath getting together. It's all inclusive. Get together as often as possible. As you see the day approaching, you're going to need that strength. You're going to need that courage. So, yeah, I had to pick on you, Nicole, just for a second. Um, I often enjoy sometimes even more Thursday night than I do sometimes on Sabbath morning, just to be, just to be honest with you because of what's happening there. We had a pastor from another denomination come in and, and just say, hey, just to affirm what they were witnessing in our group. 
right? One, one young lady, not Adventist, but she's been with us, has studied everything that we believe. Right? Are you telling me I need to wrap up? Because I'll wrap up. I, I'll just stop. Okay. <laughs> it's all good. And, uh, and now she's bringing her sister. We didn't say bring your sister. She just, hey, when something's good, you're going to just bring somebody to whatever is good. And if something ain't good, guess what? Are you going to tell anybody about it? All right. All right. Is that it? Oh, wow. There's more? We may have to cut it off after about five minutes, man. How can you love the ones that you don't like being around? Repeat that question one more time, man. How can you love the ones that you how can you love the ones that you don't like to be around? That assumes that you only love people that you like and, or, that, or, or, or that you like how they're treating you or acting in a particular moment. Man, if you really look at Jesus, who is the epitome of the revelation of love, Jesus ate with the tax collectors. He ate with the, the prostitutes. He, he, ate, he ate with the low lives of society according to how people viewed it. But he also ate with the people that were the most antagonistic against him. He ate, if you, if you read it, he ate with the Pharisees. He ate with people that were plotting his death. You know why? He was trying to appeal to them. Your love, your real love, how you, how, what love is for you is how you act in the moment when somebody is treating you the worst. That's the real revelation of what love looks like in your life. And I don't mean, now hear what I'm saying too. Look, when they were plotting to kill Jesus, he left town many times. So, 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 so don't, don't be a doormat in terms of allow someone to just walk over you and abuse you, right? Don't do that. You can love somebody from a distance if they're that toxic. We're being practical here. But really, the truth of the matter is, is that I don't always have a great day with the people that I love. They get on my nerves sometimes. As a matter of fact, sometimes the reason they get on my nerves is because I love them so much. They're closer to my heart. So the little things that if somebody else said something to me, I'd have been like, whatever, I'm not going to see that person again. But when that person is so close to my heart and they know me and they say that one little thing or they do that one little thing that gets me upset, I go, man, how could you say that, man? You're my boy. You're supposed to know. You know right? Okay, so sometimes the people we love the most, we receive the, the, the deepest wounds, but that doesn't mean necessarily that that's not someone that you love. It could actually be an indication that you really do love them because it matters what they say. What they say has weight in your life. So I would say actually through the spirit with discernment that uh, it's good to be particularly in the church community with people that are sometimes the most unlovable because it really tests whether you really are loving or not. Love is just not like flowery roses. Everything is bright and shiny. Everybody's just singing kumbaya all the time and giving hugs. Love is my breath smells and someone came to me because they love me and said, hey, CJ, man, I love you, man. Here you go. Right? Oh, man, thank you. Love is, um, love is, <laughs> wiping my son's diaper, <laughs> changing my son's diaper. You know, love is not always pretty, man. So when you can have an authentic relationship where someone knows you, flaws and all, and still loves you, that's love. All right, last one. You ready? Let's raise someone be What is your advice to the newcomer who's just now coming into the community? 
What's my advice for the newcomer? Oh, what's my advice for the newcomer? Somebody who might feel unworthy. Oh boy. Is there a question after that? That's the last one? Okay, good. <laughs> I have more advice and concern, honestly, for those that are already there than for that newcomer. I'm sometimes more concerned for the newcomer because sometimes we can turn them away. And um, they're in the right place. And what I, what, what I do tell people that are new to church life is that it's not perfect. Is that we have a perfect savior that's in our midst that's healing us. That we are a hospital where there are sick people. Even the, patient, even the nurses and the doctors are patients by the great physician Jesus Christ. So we're in process, you're in the right place because if, if, if we're hypocrites, guess what? We all are hypocrites, including you. We all don't always live up to the very thing that we say we believe. So you're in the right place for hypocrites. You're in the right place for broken people, right? God transforms. I didn't look this way 10 years ago. I struggled with other things back then and God has done something in my life and he's doing something in all of us. So I tell him, hey, I try to, you know, I try not to like bias them against any person or a group of people. I just say, hey, look, you may find some people here are not always the kindest. May not always smile, may not always represent what Jesus is. Matter of fact, sometimes I may not always represent what Jesus is. And you know what I found actually? I found, and this is one of the reasons why I kind of appreciate that I wasn't always a pastor. And I worked in different environments. Because one of the things that I discovered is they actually aren't looking for Christians to be perfect all the time. Because they already know we're not. What they're looking for Christians to do is own your mess. Admit it. Say, you know, that didn't represent Jesus. I'm so sorry about that the other day. I shouldn't have spoken that way to you. Man, what I said the other day, I don't know. I was tired. I was hungry. I don't know what it was. That wasn't Jesus. I really think God is doing something in my life. Please forgive me. When you do that, they go, man, I think I actually can be a Christian. Because obviously imperfect people can be Christians. And I make a lot of mistakes. So people that don't know Jesus are looking more for authenticity than they are looking for perfection. They want you to point them to a perfect savior that's healing you, okay? So I think uh, I would just let them know the reality and let them know that God is doing a work and he's promised to complete the work that he's begun. All right, cool. Anybody got any last questions before we close in? Thank you for listening to Living For Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our 
e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.